I'm Lindsay Curtis, and this is Her Return, a podcast devoted to women making the journey of returning home to their divinely human, feminine essence. Each episode is an opening up of a real-life topic with experiential techniques and tools to support you on your journey home. Hello, gorgeous. I am so excited to share with you this conversation with Emily Bruce. Emily is a radical reproductive health advocate and intuitive astrologer dedicated to women and girls. With her background in physiological birth and postpartum care, Emily brings a cosmic reverence into all of her work with women. She sees astrology as a way for women to unlock their path and true selves in a world that wants them to conform and dim their light. She especially loves giving intuitive guidance to mothers who feel isolated or alone in our non-mother-centric society. Emily is committed to building community, learning from other women, and reclaiming the power of the female body. In this conversation today, we touch upon Emily's personal path to who and how she is today, as well as getting to really feel her passion for community and female-centered communities and sisterhood. I left this conversation feeling so inspired, and I know it's going to touch you too. So enjoy. Oh, hello, Emily, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited that the stars finally aligned and we're able to sit down and have this conversation at the perfect time. (laughs) Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Mm, Wonderful. So we've connected through the Free Birth Society network and community. Mm -hmm. And when I first heard your voice, I was like, yes, young woman, so on fire. Yes. <laughs> I was like, we need to connect. I just, I love your passion coming through. And, and so we've met already and we've exchanged a bit. And so I would just love if we could uh, start with telling us, you know, a little bit about you and what has led you to the beautiful, passionate uh, vibration that you so clearly embody. <laughs> oh my goodness. Thank you. Um, yes, I have always been a passionate, fiery woman ever since I was a little girl. Um, and so I think what comes to mind first is that I wanted to be a teacher ever since I was like four or five, maybe even my first year of preschool. Um, as young as I can remember, I've always wanted to be a teacher. I am the oldest of three girls. And so my two youngest sisters, we would always play school and I would give them homework assignments and I would teach them anything and everything that they would listen to me teach. And I would do like, I would direct plays and I would write, I would do, I would like write choreography for dances. I was just always like creating something and teaching something and managing something. So that was a big part of my personality ever since I was little. Um, And so I went to college for teaching and a big part of what drew me to wanting to teach was this pull towards what I coined at the time, social justice work. I just wanted to like make a difference in the world. I was really um, inspired by 
people that did things like the Peace Corps. I was like so enamored by this idea that there were people out there just like dedicating their lives to making a difference. And the way that I framed that was like, I want to be a teacher and I want to work with little kids. And I want to, you know, my teachers had such an impact on me and I just loved the idea of, of being able to pass that on um, to kids at a young age. So I went to school for teaching, was very focused on being a public school teacher because I was like, I want to serve, you know, the under-resourced communities. And um, when I started teaching, um, I loved every second of it. And there was a huge part of me that was just like, Ooh, something doesn't feel right. Like this is not really how I expected it to be. There wasn't a lot of freedom and creativity that I could express. There were a lot of rules and like bureaucracy and politics. And I was constantly being told by like my professors in college, like, okay, Emily, like these are great ideas, but you can't actually do that. Like you can't, you're not going to be able to accomplish that. And like, mm. I had a couple of professors too tell me like, you're too smart to be a teacher, Ooh. which I think was like incredibly insulting on all levels. And the fact that I heard that so many times, I just really was like, are they warning me like of something mm. in this system, like mm. that I am seeing and I have sort of this hidden agenda, which like I was aware of, of like, you know, wanting to go into the school system and totally like take over the curriculum and teach it. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Teach what I wanted to teach. Um, and so that was kind of a, a flag in the back of my head. And, and at the time I was nannying as well. And I, um, my senior year, we did student teaching. So um, basically got to practice teaching by myself the whole year half the year I was in first grade half the year I was in fifth grade and the lead teacher would kind of support me but I was the one that was pretty much their teacher from day one mm. and with that um, I got to interact with a lot of the parents and I noticed that I had I, I loved when the parents would come into the classroom I loved when I got to like meet my students families and I would always be thinking of things that we could do during the week like have them come in for a math night and I love parent-teacher conferences and and my lead teachers were like once again they're like Emily this is weird like people don't usually like interacting with their students parents but mm -hmm. I really viewed my role as teaching as like being part of their community and I really loved mm. kind of uh, like involving myself and their families in that way mm. um and that sort of led me to recognize I was teaching in Baltimore City and it, the resources that the parents had were just so slim the the kids were just they needed so much attention because mm -hmm. their parents were so stretched thin, mm -hmm. um, at least the majority of them, like sometimes both their parents worked multiple jobs and they would only see their parents for a couple hours on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of was putting the pieces together of like, wow, I really feel called to working with parents, like, and sort of bridging this gap of what I'm seeing with the kids in my classroom and what they need and really recognizing that that's not really me, that they really are needing their parents yeah. like how can I support that yeah. yeah 
that's under resourced actually like kids actually needing parents that's the real resource right right Mm. yeah and they would just I mean it was so amazing Mm. and I loved the kids but they would I would walk in the classroom and like 36 year olds would just run up to me and like attach themselves to me like they just needed so much attention and love and uh my my lead teacher was like you know you're gonna have to stop that like you're gonna have to set the boundaries with them you're gonna have to tell them you can't come up and hug me I can't give you attention I just was like I can't do that (laughs) how is that possible I think I will have to quit right now it's just Mm. like I can't Mm. and this is what actually stabilizes the room every morning of me taking like 20 minutes to tell everybody good morning and give them a hug and check in and Mm-hmm. You know, the teachers would just kind of like roll their eyes at me, like, okay, that's going to last, you know, a week or you know, a year or whatever. Um, so that kind of got my wheels spinning and I was looking into um, programs post college of like doing a year of service similar to the Peace Corps, but in um, America. So it's called the AmeriCorps. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, okay, I'll, I'll do something in teaching. So I kind of put a call out to my community and was like, if you know any programs, I want to maybe stay in Baltimore. I want to do teaching, but I, I don't necessarily want to commit to one like school or community right now. Like I'm kind of open and want to do a year of service somewhere. And this wonderful woman, um, it was like so divinely orchestrated. She was like, I went to see her in her office and she was like, I know this isn't exactly what you looked, what you were asking for, but this program has your name written all over it. It's a homeless shelter for pregnant women. Mm. You go there, you live there, you live in community, you manage the home. And like, I mean, she didn't really even have to say much else because I just was (laughs) signed up (laughs) right when she said, yeah, living in community with pregnant women. I was like, oh, that is like the the root of what I have been trying to like get to like this true community building and like really thinking about when's where and what is the best place to build community um and that made just so much sense to me on an intuitive level Mm. and I didn't know something like that existed or else I probably would have looked for it um and then that's kind of where my passion for like birth and women really began that year. Um, So the homeless shelter was in Phoenix, Arizona, and there were four homes and each home could fit up to 10 women. So there were seven moms, seven or eight moms, and then two or three volunteers that did a year in the home. And the moms could stay there for up until their baby was a year old. So some women came in, you know, five weeks pregnant or however long into their pregnancy and would stay the entire first year of their baby's lives. Um, And my role was a house manager. So just like facilitating a safe and like emotionally healthy community environment Mm -hmm. and it was a lot for like someone just coming out of college with no actual like life experience. Very ambitious. Mm. Yeah. But the, the true like success of it was how, how much are you able to build relationships? Like Mm. how much are you willing to really be in relationship and in community with these women? Because it's not, 
at least what I learned, like it doesn't work if you just try to be this like detached manager of the house and just like try to kind of mentally be on top of everything, but not really like in it. And for me, it was like, I needed to go all in, like similar to how I did with teaching and just like build those relationships, regardless of how long I knew they were going to stay or how much they didn't want to be there or how depressed or angry they were. Um, To me, I just, I recognize the importance of community at that time. And it was very mutual as well. So like, it wasn't just me being like, oh, I have so much to offer you. I really had nothing to offer except my presence. And they taught me so much, like every single mom, just the way that they were so committed to um, their healing at this point in their life. Like there was something about pregnancy that flipped a switch for them Mm -hmm. and um and it didn't have to, but at whatever, for whatever reason, these women, you know, sometimes it was their third, fourth pregnancy or their third, fourth child. And they were just like, enough is enough, like getting sober or, um, just like coming out of jail or, or deciding to make this huge change in their life. So for me, that was, Mm. it really got me thinking just about, wow, there's something that, that pregnancy and that carrying life within you is totally shifting like your entire perspective of your life. Mm. And I wasn't even going, there were a lot of women that were there on a more like pro-life agenda. And that was not my agenda at all. Like the program attracted a lot of volunteers who were in that realm. Mm. And I was there to live in community. I just really wanted to live that sort of lifestyle. Mm. Um, So it wasn't even I wasn't looking at it from that lens at all, but I really was just like, wow, these women are very resilient. And there's something about this time in their life that is calling them to completely transform. Mm. I often look at it like, um, especially right now on, on this beautiful planet, uh, the souls that are coming in are of such a caliber and such a vibration that during pregnancy, we literally need to shift to be able to hold their vibration in our bodies and, and to actually birth them because they're going to come through mm-hmm. this channel. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so, so the capacity that we have as women to really open up to love and really open up to all these aspects and dimensions of love that pregnancy really invites us through is just incredible. So I can imagine this was an incredibly rich experience to be able to witness so many women going through this and uh, what a teaching. Yeah, it was the best year of my life, the most rich year, like on all levels, it was the hardest and the most challenging Mm. so far. And it was so beautiful and life-changing and transformative. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you find to be the most challenging? The most challenging was the immersion of it. Like mm-hmm. that I couldn't go home at the end of the day because I lived there. Yeah. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I was choosing to commit fully my life to the, to their lives. Yeah. Wow. And like I had one day off a week and even on my day off, it's like, you can't really sink in because 
I'm like, okay, is this mom going to go into labor? How's this mom doing? How's this baby doing? Like, it just becomes a part of your life. And I mean, that was also the best part. Like, it, it wouldn't have been the same if I lived separately or mm-hmm. if it was just a nine to five or whatever. The beauty came from waking up in the middle of the night and seeing six moms sitting in the living room, breastfeeding or feeding their babies and being able to go to birthday parties and celebrate sober anniversaries and be in all the little moments of their lives. Like, yeah, day to day. Mm. And them for me as well, like me being able to be a part of their babies' lives. Like a lot of them, I lived with their babies from the time they were born until they were a year old. And like, such an incredible time. It's amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I love babies. So I was just in heaven. I mean, some of the volunteers like did not love babies. Like they loved women, but they were like, yeah, babies are fine. But I love <laughs> babies. So at one point we had seven babies in my house. Oh my goodness. And like our house was crazy and I loved it. <laughs> oh, what abundance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was really, really great. Mm, incredible. So that sounds like a very, very rich experience filled with diversity. Yes. Mm. And where the birth part kind of came in. Um, yeah. So I, I, I recognized pregnancy right away as like, okay, this is some sort of catalyst. Mm. And I, I was already kind of obsessed with birth, although I had never attended a birth. I didn't really know anything about birth, but I feel like there's that little part in us, at least in my household, growing up in a household full of girls. And like, we were always playing babies and Mm. playing mom and everything. And I just naturally was kind of drawn to birth. And so I was really excited for the moms to give birth in the home or not in the home, but the moms in the home to go to the hospital, give birth. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I was noticing was these women. So I didn't attend any births until I was like nine months into the program. It just kind of lined up with whoever was in the house at the time giving birth and wanted you to come. Um, so for the first like nine months or so, I would watch these women like return from the hospital And instead of like what I envisioned being, you know, like the pinnacle of their healing experience and like everything they had worked for and just like so embodied and in their power and healed, you know, I probably had an idealistic version also at the time. Um, But that was intuitively what I felt birth would do. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Mm. And instead they would literally be returning like, soldiers from war like Mm -hmm. that's how I kind of envisioned it like walking in completely I mean not only sleep deprived and just like emotionally drained but also just energetically not all there anymore like totally traumatized and I didn't recognize that at the time because I didn't have any real language around it and it was so normalized right Um, and so but I just was like oh my gosh this is not right and a lot of the women also that were in the home had a history of sexual abuse or childhood abuse and I noticed because we were so involved in their everyday lives and their healing and we would have somewhat 
sessions somewhat similar to therapy sessions, I noticed that those themes came up so much more after birth. Yeah. And like, they were like connecting dots that they hadn't connected before. And it was just yeah. like, to me, I was like, okay, there is something here that is not being talked about. And then I went to my first birth and I literally collapsed, like, like collapsed in the parking lot after and just like cried for like 20 minutes in the hospital parking garage mm. because it was so intense and traumatizing and violating and abusive and I think I got from what I've heard it is one of the more horrible birth stories like that that I did witness for my first birth so I think it, it I never went through the phase of like oh but hospital birth and like it could be good or mm. you know you can have any type of birth and it can be good like I really woke up quickly and was like okay. That was not okay. (laughs) This is not okay at all. Um, and that mom, like what we went through was just so intense together. And she actually like, she had to move out shortly after she couldn't take care of her baby. She, like, I was up with her baby in the middle of the night. Like it was just such a horrible experience all around. There was like no silver lining. Mm. Um, and so that really, that became my new sort of social justice mission, if you I will. Guess, I was like, I guess yeah. that's the silver lining. What it was able—that's true. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, that's very true. Yeah, I let I credit all of the women and their stories, like mm. with everything that I like, I do now and that I'm passionate about now, because I wouldn't have. Not many women get to see that side of birth before they give birth themselves. Yeah. Um. And that, that became kind of my mission. I was like, I like, everyone needs to know about this before they give birth. Mm. Um, Mm. And then, you know, I kind of went into the doula track after, after I left um, the homeless shelter program. And even in the doula world, it was a lot of normalization of trauma. And I was like, wait, even in this community, we're not talking about how messed up all this is like, this is weird. And I, I I couldn't really find my footing there. And I just kind of let it be for a little bit. I was teaching preschool and I was just kind of figuring out what my next moves were. And then somehow came up across the free birth society, um, on Instagram. And at first I was like, whoa, this is the complete other end of the spectrum, you know, like women giving birth completely alone and like women being very, very vocal about what happened to them. And and it Mm -hmm. felt a bit jarring to me at first. And then just, I mean, it was probably just a couple days and like listening to the podcast and just reading more stories and being like, oh, okay, this is exactly what is what I have felt all along birth to be and what I kind of intuitively knew Um, and whatever they are doing for training or however they're learning about birth. Like that's really what I want to involve myself in Mm. because it, it was so different than the doula mentality that I had gone through, which was like, save the women from this horrible system or try to, but you won't be able to. And then here's how to just kind of like support them in that since like, you don't really have any power. Yeah. And that kind of felt similar to the public school system to me. And I was like, 
I already know how that's going to end. Like that's not a sustainable outcome for the women or for me as someone that's trying to support. Like you can only go through that so many times before you burn out and like get completely disillusioned with everything. Mm -hmm. So the Freebird Society, their philosophy of really just returning to undisturbed birth and mother-centered birth and physiological birth. I was like, yes, that's exactly what I want. (laughs) Yeah. And I went through the radical birth keeper school and that really more than anything, just solidified my passion around women knowing their bodies and Mm -hmm. women trusting their bodies and, and having that be the forefront and that being the foundation of everything. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And how necessary. Oh, it is the foundation of everything. So well put, because if we don't have that, we're never going to have a natural physiological empowered, ecstatic, uh, beautiful birth. We can't, Right. it's just not available. It's literally not even a possibility. Um, but it's not, you know, it is, it is quite a complex journey to get there sometimes for some of us. And so I love some of the offerings that you have and done in the past and stuff. So how are you currently supporting women in beginning their journey to embodied living? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I noticed around me, like all my friends, they, they were in a similar season of life to me as like, as in not not even really thinking about pregnancy yet, like a few mm-hmm. years out from that, but also knowing that it's one day, definitely one day. Yeah. And so just every time I would talk about birth and the things that I was learning in the school and about the female body, it was just like magnetizing. Like I noticed that all women were just so hungry for this information. Mm. And it was like, it was like, I was revealing the secrets of the universe, but it's literally just like how our bodies work. Which is the universe. It is the universe. (laughs) Yes, it is. Yes, you're so right. Especially the female body. I mean, it's the universe. We literally worlds. We birth worlds. Yes. Like nothing could exist if it wasn't in some woman's womb. And if some woman on this planet wasn't holding it in her womb, it wouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. The importance of coming into this connection and clarity. Mm -hmm. Even some of my guy friends, like me just saying something like that. They're like, whoa, like (laughs) never thought about that before, you know? Mm. And so I just kept going with that thread of like, wow, women are really interested in this. Obviously I'm interested in it. I'm the one learning it right now. I still love teaching. Like how can I share? I'm just like a natural teacher as well. So every conversation with my friends always turn into like birth or cycles or periods and birth control and all that. Mm. And so that it quickly became, or I quickly became aware of the connection between birth control and cycle knowledge and cycle tracking and pregnancy and how, how you have to, or how it's helpful to have a knowledge of your cycle before you get pregnant. Um, And, you know, how many of my friends were on birth control and were not happy about it or we're like oh yes I've always kind of had this feeling that like this just isn't right um or you know I feel so different now than I did before and like 
sort of, it was almost like I was giving them permission to like speak these things that they hadn't felt comfortable coming to the conclusion about. Um, So I started holding women's circles and for, for, for all of the women in my community, this was a new concept and um, it was life-changing just like women getting together and, you know, I would just pick a topic and it'd be like, okay, we're going to talk about um, our first period, or we're going to talk about our relationship with our mothers, or we're going to talk about our bodies and we're going to talk about birth, whatever it was. And just every month, you know, women would just be like, I have been waiting for this. Like it just, I I could see how necessary. And I could see from my time in the homeless shelter, like how truly life-changing a community of women can be without men. Like Mm -hmm. that was another thing when I spent a year in the shelter, I like interacted with probably like one man. There were no men allowed in the home. <laughs> it was like so different. I'm like, not many people can say that. I mean, it was like, it put me, put me back a few steps in terms of like my dating life. Yeah, I was like, but, you're a celibacy. <laughs> yes, right. Seriously. It's helpful but sometimes. At the same time, like in terms of nervous system regulation, like that was, that was a really strong boundary for the program mm-hmm. to be like, you know, even if it's the father of your children, you're on great terms. Even if it's your brother, it's your dad, like this is a female only space. And yeah, that was amazing. So I kind of started recreating that in my community too. And from that just naturally came, um, a want or a need for my community that to go deeper into cycle tracking and go deeper into how to how to get off birth control and how to actually be attuned to your cycle with the lens of both overall body knowledge and literacy and health, but also most women through the lens of like, I one day want to have this very powerful birth experience that you're so passionate about and that you've illuminated. And um, so that I have um, an online program that I run called Embodied Cycles, Embodied Power. And that kind of sums it up with, with just how I feel about how women connecting to their bodies, women connecting to their cycles in particular, really does put you in your power. And that is a direct link to me um, or how I see it. That's a direct link to being able to be these women that are unmovable be, and like that don't need to rely on other people telling them what's wrong with their body or what they need to do with their body. Um, All of the information and all of the wisdom is inside and to be able to go there and to understand that it's one, it's like so easy, actually. Like, I feel like we have this story that it's like, oh my gosh, it's so hard to understand. And like, it really isn't like, I've yet to meet a woman that's like, I just don't get it. Like (laughs) most women are like, thank you. Like, yes, I feel this. I've, I've known this. And the the hard part is obviously the the learning over and over how to tune everything else out Mm -hmm. and like how to keep returning to that. But, you know, the actual like unlocking and waking up to the wisdom of your female body is kind of the easy part. Mm. 
I love this. And I feel like it, I feel like it needs to be a precursor and part of a, a prerequisite for any sort of fertility treatment, like any sort of medical intervention. I feel like it's a precursor, like first spend a year tracking your cycle naturally without like, without becoming, um, mm-hmm. focused on, on when to conceive, but just actually being in the cycle. Cause a lot of women don't even really meet their cycles until they want to conceive. And then mm-hmm. it becomes this actually very masculine way of looking at it and controlling and being like, okay, I'm searching for the optimal moment to receive the sperm. <laughs> um, instead of being in full attunement with the psychological and emotional shifts that occur throughout our cycle and how that in influences our creativity for our entire bleeding years and and the magic and the deliciousness that can come from from playing with that yeah Mm. and a lot of you know OBGYNs or doctors whoever they they will say things like okay we'll just go on birth control and when you're ready to have a baby then you know you can get off of it and see what happens and like (laughs) even even the way that we are priming women is like Mm. your body and your fertility and your reproductive health doesn't mean anything until you're ready to start trying to have a baby. And to me, as someone that used to identify as a very like strong, like liberal feminist, like that logic of like, we only care about women's bodies when it comes to like that goes against all of like liberal feminist logic which I no longer agree with but like I was just surprised when I started putting the pieces together that more women were not outraged by how like that the the fertility industry treats them like totally a denial that like your body is anything other than just for reproduction like exactly what you were saying in terms of getting to know your creativity and your libido and your energy levels and your ability to relate with others throughout your cycle. It's like living a full life versus just shutting everything off. And then when you want to have a baby, yeah, we'll try to like turn it on again and see what kind of person you are. Like it's so bizarre, but that's what's so like, that's what's so, um, unfortunately is, is a sort of intelligence. That's why it is so intelligently designed. Um, the reverse intelligence, you know, beyond this birth control, who knows what it actually does to your actual fertility and then come off of it. And then, oh, maybe you'll need this other interventions to get pregnant because, yeah. because it does take time. It, it definitely for some women does take a lot of time uh, of detoxing these artificial hormones and coming into a more natural rhythm. And, and even for a cycle to regulate, every woman is so different when they yeah. do make that choice to, to stop artificial uh, birth control, which is interesting because I have, I've seen and worked with a number of women that don't like hormonal birth control yet have used an IUD, which is a copper mm-hmm. intervention and haven't like made the link that that is no, it's not technically hormonal, but it's, it's still a foreign object inside of your womb space. And, um, it definitely influences the entire hormonal change. So even the effects of coming off that are, are huge and so beneficial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. It changes everything on all levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. So bleeding women 
if you're still on something, get off of it now. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And it's nice to have, you know, a women on the other side, like I always like to say it, it seems so impossible and like lonely when you're in this sort of medical mm. normalized allopathic world of just like outsourcing and not really knowing what's going on and just having this one focused way of looking at everything. But on the other side, you know, the other extreme of, or not even extreme, but the going back to how your body is naturally designed to operate. Like there are so many women that are here to support you in that and to reflect that back to you. And the community is so much more intimate and trustworthy and Mm. powerful then, you know, because you might think, well, no one else is doing that. Actually, the women that are doing that are the women that are like speaking out and that are very embodied and that are mm-hmm. so ready to welcome more women into this realm of like reclaiming our cycles and our bodies and our power. So I, I'm lucky that I, that I had that. And then you know, to be able to give that back to women as well and be like, okay, come over here. Like, this is the world that, that we can have. Like, we don't have to go to gynecologists and we don't have to use fertility treatments and we don't have to use the birth control pill. Like there is this whole realm of knowledge and wisdom that you can have and it's free. (laughs) You know, it's like, yeah, you might invest in, in people and programs, but like long-term you're divesting from a business and you're like going, you're relying on yourself. Yes, 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 yes. I love this. And this is, this is the real actually investment of sovereignty and sovereign development, actually like putting your money and energy and time into where it really matters. What is really sustainable, your body and your being, because that's what's with you as long as you're on earth and your beings with you after. So why not invest in it now? (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. Yes. I haven't personally been, I hadn't personally been to a gynecologist and like, mm, I think I counted, I think it was like 13 years. I forget exactly. But, and, uh, after, after I gave birth, I was really, I spend a lot of, um, energy and, and love and communication with my vagina, with my yoni, with all my parts. And after birth, I was really looking uh, with a mirror very often and, and really following my healing and, and everything. And I noticed something that was different and I, and I was very curious about it. And so I chose to go see a gynecologist and, and I, it was such an interesting experience because I've been oh so gosh. out of the system for so long in that regard that like, Yes, I sat down. I told her exactly why I was there. I told her exactly what I wasn't going to have, and um, and she like continued to to inform me why it was necessary. I had a pap smear that day, and I was like, "No, thank you. I just had one. Like, let's move forward." <laughs> like, and I was like, "No, I've just done that for sure." Right. And um, and then the first thing that she comes up with is, "Well, what are you doing for birth control?" And I was like, excuse me, I'm here for you. I literally just want your expert opinion because in some ways you're very formed in in knowing things like, is this a kind of cyst? Is this just part of my healing? Like very practical question. (laughs) Just look at my vagina. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But she felt this authority to ask me about birth control. And I was like, "Um, that's between me and my partner. Thank you. And she was like, well, what would you do if you got pregnant? 
And I was like, excuse me. Like, and I, I, unfortunately I just wanted her to look at my vagina. So I did stay, but, um, but it was very interesting, this, this power dynamic. And, and I left there very, just, you know, a curious, I thought it was a very curious thing. And I was, I was really relaxed in, in the session because my boundaries were so clear and I prepared myself going into it. But after when I left the, the voice that came to me was a lot of women need that. And that made me really sad because a lot of women actually really need that because they are very disconnected to the cycle and mm-hmm. your possibility of becoming pregnant. So this question that the doctor then needs to impose actually is serving a lot of women. And I was like, okay, so I could find the gratitude for that experience. And like, hopefully she helps a lot of people by bringing that. Um, but for me, the, the real work and the beauty that you're bringing to the world with your beautiful course and, and this consciousness and continuing to have these conversations about our natural cycles, that's sustainable because Mm -hmm. having an outer authority being like, and what are you going to do when this happens? Uh, I don't see how that's going to support our evolution in the long run sisters. (laughs) Right. And like, imagine if you could have a woman in your life that you could call if you had a cyst or a weird thing going on, or you just want someone to look like, imagine if you had someone that you could just come over to your house Mm -hmm. and like the amount of times my friends have asked me to look at things. And it's like, yeah, like, yeah, that is even just that experience itself can be healing just like an experience to a gynecologist in and of itself can be harmful. Like just the, the environment and the nervous system and everything that's going into that. So imagine if, you know, we could create that for each other too. And, um, what that could feel like. And I always, I really changed from being someone that really wants to be in the systems and changing the systems and Mm -hmm. fighting the system to someone that's much more focused on what we can create without that. And like, there are people that definitely need to be in the systems and making changes in there. And then I think there are people that are meant to be these creators of new systems. And so wherever you in those lines, if you're someone that does feel more of a call to this creator energy, this new paradigm and way of going about this, like women need that from you and women need your openness to having that community and like building that for them too. So I definitely see that for me, like I, I, same as you, I, I see that gynecologist and that whole industry is a direct result of this lack of like what we actually need. And it's mm-hmm. like, we just have that as a sort of a horrible substitute, but what could that actually be? And that's like what I'm really interested in. Yes. And what the, um, is being actively created and co-created. Yes. And, and the more that we choose that and, and giving our energies to actually what it is we're here to create is how the new actually can come and, and how we birth, right? Give our energy to that. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. So, so yeah. good. Mm, it makes me so excited. And I'm like, yeah, it's so, I just love that you called me out on that. I was like, and I'm just like, fuck, why didn't I actually call my friend so-and-so and I was like I'm gonna call her after this call and be like what would you have done 
would, would she have had the knowledge? Cause I mean, we have that intimacy and I just, for me in that moment, I felt she didn't have the knowledge, I guess, but now I'm very curious. So I'm going to call her and be like, would you have the knowledge to inform Yeah, me? And you like have to you love have it. to learn. Yeah, yeah. You have to learn through those experiences and totally. So, so good. Mm, alrighty beauty. Let's uh, wrap up. It's so rich to talk to you. And, and I love, um, the beautiful spiral pathway you've walked us on today with uh, the many different experiences and how you come and you are creating such beauty in this world and community and so many levels for so many beautiful women. Is there any last bit of wisdom that is here right now in your heart or womb that you would love to share with us? (sighs) Hmm. I would just say, I always kind of have the same thing come through of just how powerful women are when they know their bodies Mm -hmm. and how powerful women are even before they know their bodies. But that innate power is why we have so many systems and people against, against us diving into that because what will happen when women unlock this uncontrollable sovereign power, like the entire world as we know it is going to change. So I think if you're someone who has this spark for wanting to change the world or just like wanting to make a difference or wants to put their passion into action in some way, I would just say, start with going within and start with your body and see what's there to be unlocked because women are so powerful. Women's bodies are amazing. The universe, just like you said. Yes. Yeah. Mm, I love it. Mm. Well, thank you so much. And tell us where can we connect with you? Where are you present? And um, I'll include links in the show notes. Yeah, thank you. Um, My Instagram is Leo Rising Birthkeeping. I um, have a background in astrology as well. So that's where the Leo Rising comes from. And I do astrology readings, mostly for women. kind of through this lens as well of like unlocking your power. That's really how I view astrology and the birth chart and kind of like your innate blueprint and how, where are the ways that you might be subconsciously holding yourself back or like blind spots. Um, So I love astrology. It's a big part of what I do as well. And then, um, yeah. And then my website is the same. We are rising birthkeeping.com. And um, if you're a woman wanting to, get off of birth control, um, definitely message me. And there are lots of ways to work with me in regards to diving into your fertility and your body knowledge. Because you are innately fertile. Mm. Yes, you are. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Lindsay. This is amazing. Thank you so much, Emily. And we'll talk again soon. I'm Lindsay Curtis. And thank you for listening to Her Return, the podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, share it with another beautiful woman. Let them too be inspired. Then head on over to my private Facebook group, Her Return to Love, where we can connect more personally. 
Until we meet again, may you return home to yourself today.